This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Music do I hear? Mm-hmm. Keep time. How sour sweet music is when time is broke and no proportion kept. So is it in the music of men's lives. And here have I the daintiness of ear to hear time broke in a disordered string, but for the concord of my state and time had not an ear to hear my true time broke. I wasted time, and now doth time waste me. For now hath time made me his numbering clock, my thoughts are minutes, and with sighs they jar their watches on unto mine eyes the outward watch whereto my finger, like a dial's point, is pointing still in cleansing them from tears. Now, sir, the sound that tells what hour it is are clamorous groans that strike upon my heart, which is the bell. So sighs and tears and groans show minutes, hours and times. But my time runs posting on in Bolingbroke's proud joy while I stand fooling here, his Jacko the clock. This music mads me, let it sound no more. For though it have halt madmen to their wits, in me it seems will make wise men mad. Yet blessing on his heart that gives it me. For tis a sign of love, and love to Richard is a strange brooch in this all-hating world. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Richard from Act 5, Scene 5 of Richard II, read by our guest this week. He is a Noongar man, an actor, dancer and poet from the southwest of Western Australia. He recently played the lead role in Hecate, a reworking of Macbeth in Noongar language, presented by Yuri Yarkin in association with Bell Shakespeare. This year he's on the road for Bell, playing Aegean in the national tour of Comedy of Errors. His other Shakespeare roles include Othello, Macduff and Julius Caesar for Upstart Theatre in Perth. He co-founded the international theatre company Corazón de Vaca, co-creating several of their productions in Spain and Australia. Recent theatre credits include York for Black Swan, City of Gold for Griffin and Queensland Theatre, and Panawathi Girl and Dating Black for Yuri Arkin. In 2016, he won Performing Arts WA's Best Actor Award for Hobo at the Blue Room Theatre. It is my great pleasure to welcome Maitland Snars. Maitland, welcome to Speak the Speech. Thank you, James. Lovely to be here. Maitland, I love this choice of speech that you've made from Richard II. Tell me what's going on for the character at this point, right at the end of the play. Um, basically, it's, it's a, an absolute moment of self-awareness. Mm, mm. He knows that he's got no one else to blame but himself right, for right. being in this predicament. Mm -hmm. um, not Bolingbroke or anyone else. It's all his own doing. Mm. And I like that because I've had one or two moments of the, those realisations right myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in another life. Yeah. Um, which if it wasn't for those realisations, I wouldn't be here right now. Mm. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's about 
confronting yourself warts and all. Right. Seeing all mm. the dark sides. I mean, we all have good sides and we all have bad sides and it's easy to look at the good sides that we have. Sure. But true self-awareness comes when it comes comes when you confront the darkness, those yeah. not so nice parts that we all have within us. And I think the part of the problem for Richard is that he's um, always been told that, you know, obviously he's the king and everyone has been his yes man and everyone's bowed down mm. to him. And then all of a sudden he finds himself all alone in this prison cell with time to think. And the problem is when there's no one around you to actually point things out to you, you, you can become deluded very, very quickly about who mm. you are. Yeah. yeah. My favourite bit of this speech, I, I love this speech and the idea of music and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but my favourite is the last couple of lines where he says, love to Richard is a strange brooch in this all-hating world because for me it's such a, um, such a relevant line to our contemporary age. The all-hating world feels to me like <laughs> where we're sitting. It sounds like social media to me. I don't know what you think, Maitland. Oh, I, I kind of agree with everything that's going on in the Ukraine, um, all the stuff on Black Lives, um, mm. Me Too. It's, it's like it's really easy to get caught up in all the darkness, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, all the fear, um, anxiety around COVID that still exists mm -hmm. um, and most probably will exist for quite a for another few more years yet. Mm. It's hard to lose sight of, of love and, and joy. Right, right. It's quite easy to lose sight of all of that now and, mm. and find it when you've got all these other pressures and, you know, and just on your day-to-day -day worries, you know, for young people, cost of housing is going through the roof everywhere, rent's yeah. going up. You're too busy trying to focus on all those things which are material. I need money to pay this or that. Mm. And it takes you away from yourself, connecting with yourself and actually connecting with others. With other human beings. And yeah. that's probably part of what Richard's problem has been. He's been focused on amassing uh, his own wealth and power and not really taking care of his people, of yeah. the kingdom. And But I also think with him the whole idea of divine right for him initially meant Everybody's there to serve him. Mm -hmm. When my view of divine right is you're here to serve the people. So you're given that responsibility. You're you are given that responsibility. Right. It's like with regards to being elders in community, to be an Indigenous elder, or in my case, you know, like in my case, you know, to be a Nyungar elder, not that I am one, to be a Nyungar elder means you have to put the community first. Right, right. If you don't put the community first, it defeats the purpose. Mm -hmm. You're there for the community, not the community there for you. Yeah, yeah, good and point. I think that's the whole way where Richard got confused with divine right. Mm. He's there for them, not the people there for him, for him. One of the big metaphors he uses in this speech is music uh, and talking about himself as uh, someone who's really attuned to music, he says, my ear can hear the slightest little bit of music that's out of time or out of proportion or out of tune. Um, but he says, I couldn't hear when my own time was up. Mm. And isn't that an interesting um, reflection for a politician to go, I, I just I did, didn't have the ear for when the electorate was like, no, mate, you're, you're not being a good leader anymore. <laughs> it's time for you to go. Yeah, um, that's quite common with politicians. But also to... We're so used to observing and making comments on other people's lives. Right. 
And we're sitting there and you, know, you sit on the bus, you watch other people. You talk to your friends and quite often you talk to your friends about other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How often do we go home and look in the mirror and actually look at ourselves and actually take stock mm. of where we are in this moment, Yeah, yeah. in the here and now? Very rarely we're constantly looking and observing everyone else but ourselves. Yeah. I... And especially men and, of course, men are, that's one of the reasons why men are horrendous with their own health. Mm. We're not tuned into our own physical, just on a purely literal level, we don't really tune into our own physical health. Mm. Mm. I've been guilty of that on a number of occasions. Right. <laughs> but but at the moment, Maitland, you're very healthy and you're exercising a yeah. lot and, and certainly up in the, the rehearsal room for Comedy of Errors, you guys are... are... It's, we're working the way I love to work. Mm-hmm. Which is I love the the combination of the physical and the intellectual. Mm-hmm. So you know, with Janine, we really get into the nitty gritty intellectualization of of the text and what what it all means. What does this word or this sentence, all of that, and then so you, you get into that intellectualization. But then we get up on the floor and we work with Sam um, Chester, who is just, and then we do all this physical abstract stuff but all everything's linked to the text and then mm. it's about combining the physical and the intellectual yeah yeah which i for me is um really really relevant to shakespeare because i find his text very physical mm. it's physical text and if you want to speak it properly you need to physicalize it and what and what i mean by physicalize don't mean you need to jump around as you know mm. it needs to be so in your body yeah it's not just in the brain it's it's got to be everywhere resonate in every molecule of your being and then when you speak it the whole body comes into it so you know as jess would say you can really chew and feel the words Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. do you think that's a part of your practice as you were growing up because you you did focus on dance earlier in your career as well i like the physical way of working because i actually come from a physical family yep um to be honest, growing up back in Merriman, small country town um, in the Eastern District Wheatbelt area, in my family, if you're a male, as soon as you could walk, two things you learnt. Mm. How to kick a footy, Aussie rules that is, yeah. and how to fight. How to fight, right. One of those, yeah. You, you learnt those two things. As soon as you could walk, how to fight, how to kick footy. I've played sport my whole life. I didn't actually get into acting until I was 36 years old. Oh, right. Okay. And so where did dance come into it? Oh, The, the dance came in on two fronts. Um, by working, uh, I met a friend, a friend of mine, a very good friend, Julian Fuentes Jarita, Spanish gentleman who came from Spain and was studying a master's in contemporary performance at EC. So I started working, we became friends and we started working together. And yeah. the way we, our practice, a lot of it was physical and it based in Kotowski. Yes. Towards yeah. poor theatre and physicalization, And then through Richard, not, not through, through, through um, Julian, I met Richard Seidel, who was a dancer, and through mm. I met more and I started working with contemporary dancers and and I recommend all actors to work with contemporary dancers in mm. some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's not about becoming a dancer. It's, it's who better to teach you about your body? Mm-hmm. If you know what your body can and can't do to the smallest detail, mm. then you can do the smallest gesture on stage and if you do it right, it will resonate right to the back of the biggest theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you com- 
combine that with text, mm. it adds another level to the text. So through them I started working with contemporary dancers and then at another point I wanted to learn more about my culture and I met an, a very good friend and mentor of mine, James Webb um, Gambiati. He's a leader of a Nyunga dance group in Perth mm. called Wadamba. Yep. So I met him and then and he invited me to join the group. Mm-hmm. So I spent five years working with James, which I absolutely love. We're still very good friends. We catch up for coffee from time to time. So then I started learning traditional Noongar dance mm-hmm. for performance. And, and it was really interesting because by doing that, I have a physicality which is inherent due to my culture, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which flows on into when I do contemporary movement yeah. and that there's there's a groundedness um, I have through the feet. Yep. Which, yeah, and then when I work into contemporary moves, it flavours that Indigenous. Of course. Flavours that. Yeah, of course. So dance, acting, of course music is another big part of it. And just quickly back to Richard here, I love that this um, metaphor of, of music, music and time goes all the way through this speech. And Shakespeare loves doing this, like in Hamlet, um, Ophelia refers to sweet bells jangled out of time in in one version or out of tune in another version. Um, or, you know, at the start of Twelfth Night, uh, if music be the food of love, play on, um, Orsino says. And then at the end he says, enough, no more, I, I, I don't want to hear it anymore, which is exactly what Richard does. He's, he's like, okay, I can hear the music, now it's too much, I, I, I can't hear it anymore. Has Has music for you played a big part in that development as an artist as well? Um, <clears throat> well, y- y- yeah, because we all have songs which resonate, you know, reminders of past loves, breakups. Mm. And, of course, a soundscape for me, I also, of shows that I've done. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um a great soundscape really adds to the, to the pieces and sometimes some of those songs always stick with you. One of the songs I always remember, um, Nola Gay by um, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark mm. and because mm-hmm. we did a production of Sarah Kane, it was my first sort of professional production, mm. um, Feeders Love. Yeah. And the soundtrack was very integral to that. Yep. Um, yep. So I, I remember those songs. There's also the sound of of where you grew up, the sound of country, the sound of you, the country. environment, you know. Oh, I grew, yeah, for me, I think as soon as I think of where I grew up, I think of country and western. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, automatically, <laughs> yes. Um, my granddad was a great Slim Dusty fan. <laughs> my nan loved Charlie Pride and my dad loved anything that was country and western and incredibly maudlin yeah okay <laughs> i was i was maitland i was thinking more about the sounds of the environment and the bush and yeah, where yeah, you yeah. Grew all up. those sounds the thing is my view of where i grew up has actually changed because yeah we used to drive constantly between meriden and perth right and when i was young you'd see all the the wheat fields mm-hmm. especially when they're quite new and they're all green initially you would think oh how beautiful that looks Mm. But then as I've gotten older and I've stopped and reflected, now when I see those same fields, they're not beautiful f- 
for me anymore. There's scars mm. on the land because what should have been there has all been ripped away. Right. There should have been forests from Perth. Well, originally there was forests from Perth all the way up to Kalgoorlie. Sure, yeah. And yeah. if anyone's done that strip, that trip, it's, there's yeah. nothing. It's all been ripped away. So now I see farms, I see scars on the landscape. Mm. And then when I hear the sounds of the birds and the animal, all the animals, I think, yes, you can hear them, but there should have been way more than what there is. Sure. Yeah. Um, now the sounds remind me of what we've lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we can get back at some point, but those sounds out bush now remind me of what we've lost. Mm. Yeah. Maitland, obviously I've got to talk to you about Hecate. Because yeah. what a huge part of your life over the last few years that's been a, um, a process really that took four or five years to get to production. Mm-hmm. And you've been, you were a part of that from the beginning, am I right? Were you um, a part of that? Yeah, the, the very first creative development on Hackett. Mm-hmm. Although it, it was by no means settled that you were going to play no, Maccas at the beginning, was it? No, um, I had no idea. I, I, in that whole sort of five-year period, I barely read for for um, Macbeth. Mm-hmm. I always read for for Banquo or, mm-hmm. or Macduff, mm-hmm. and I was actually quite fine with that, mm-hmm. you know, because my priority with regards to Hecate was actually really focusing on learning my language. Sure, yeah. Um, I didn't know I was going to play Macbeth until one month before we started rehearsals. Yeah, right. That <laughs> okay. was the first time I've <laughs> ever heard that, and it's like, oh, right, and and that was interesting. Because I then had to think, okay, do I want it and can I do it? And mm-hmm. those questions, I didn't doubt my acting skills. I don't, don't doubt. I, I, I work hard and I love what I do. So I, I had no doubts about my skills as an actor. But for me, if I'm to accept the role of Macbeth in Hecate, then because Hecate is more than just the play. It's culturally significant. Significant sure. to my people. It's it's bringing back our language. It's reinvigorating our language. So mm. for me to play the lead, it's like, okay, are you prepared to step up as a cultural role model? Yeah, yeah. That's that right. was a real question I actually mm. had to ask myself, and my and I was thinking, well, if you're not prepared to do that, then don't. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you did. But yeah. but I'm really interested in in the beginning of the process as well because you've spoken to me before about that language learning process for you, and the emotions that came up for you took you by surprise early on. Yeah, I mean, okay, I knew I was going to have anger towards the um, government institutions which took my language away from me. What blindsided me, which I did not expect, was anger towards my family. Because all of a sudden, uh, the, I can remember this, by the end of the first week, or if not even early, yeah, very early on in that very first week of our very first creative development, there was this intense anger towards my family because I was thinking, why did Kylie's family keep a language and my family didn't? Right. Um, and I didn't expect that. And at the end of the first week, there was a point I had to walk out of rehearsal. Mm. Mm. And to be honest, I wasn't too sure if I was going to come back. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of anger and a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I wanted to continue with this, 
this ain't going to be the first time I'm going to have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had to really question, am I ready to deal with ongoing anger and frustration? Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I, I dealt with it and, I, you know, and the, I, had to, I had to come to the realisation that I can't judge my family, my grandparents for the choices they make because they thought they did what they thought was best for the family at the time. Sure. The thing is they should never have been put in that position where mm -hmm. they had to choose culture over work and being able to feed their family. Yeah, yeah. They should never have been put in that position in the first place. Of course, yeah. Um, they thought they what they did was they thought it was best for the family. Mm, mm. But, yeah, so it was a simple answer but it was, still took me a little while to process it and then eventually let it go. Because mm. what Kylie would do at the end of every week and this is you know, in those early days when it really hit me because I was the oldest person in the theatre room Mm -hmm. And one of the senior artists, but I think I knew the least amount of language. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was really so. One hour every Friday, we would have no white which is no white fella talking. Yep. So, mm -hmm. or so if you can't speak, you don't. Mm -hmm. And that was really, yeah, that was. Oh yeah, that was really really challenging in mm. those early days. I really had to push through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I. And that's, once again, it's like I had to confront so much of myself, which is reflecting on Richard the Second monologue too. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, mm. like him, I had to confront a lot of my own yeah. baggage. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. it makes that monologue even more relevant. So obviously, there was such an overwhelming response to Hecate, uh, mm. to your performance. Um, there, there were standing ovations. It was an emotional outpouring. There was community involvement and so on. How do you think Hecate will then translate? Because that was on Nungabuja. That was mm. there on country, on land. How do you think Hecate will then translate to being uprooted from that place and say sent to not just here to Gadigal land, but over to England and all of the ambitions that you have for this for this production. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. I look, that's quite a hard question to ask. Like, because mm. yeah, you know, the first like our first preview, as we called it, was a blackout. No white fellas allowed. Yep, just all mob. And yeah. The, so they feed into what you – and, of course, you, you're on the land and we come from the land and our language is part of the land. and mm. So it gives you another layer of energy. And so by taking away from Nyunga Buja, Nyunga land and especially, say, to London, um, when you don't have that – but, see, Mother Earth is always there. Sure, sure. And mm -hmm. so that energy should still travel through, and as long as you ground yourself in, on on the land, and but yeah, it's going to be an interesting feel, mm -hmm. and and we don't have the community there, the community energy backing yeah. us, and yeah, but it means we all need to support each other. Then we all need to, we will all really need to connect and support, and have each other's back, mm. and. And really connect with all the language, all the emotions, and everything that we're saying within the piece. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I hope when we bring it to here, 
what I hope, I hope it invigorates the local community here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, not, it's not about showing off. It's about working with and being respectful of the community here, and mm-hmm. and hopefully in some, and you know, we would need and the elders permission to speak our language. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But it's about an offering to the local people here. Yep, for sure. Because um, that's what it would have been like back in the old day in, in my imagination. Mm-hmm. And because songs would get passed from one community to another and like from Queensland all, all the way to Noongar Country in WA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be a real, real challenge. Listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm James Evans, and my guest today, Maitland Snars. Now, Maitland, do you remember the first time that Shakespeare entered your consciousness? Where was that? What what, what happened when you suddenly thought, "Oh yeah, Shakespeare"? That that's something that I'm interested in pursuing. Um, well, the first time I experienced it was uh, having to do a monologue from King Lear. Yeah, where was that? That was. While well, I was doing the Ab Theatre course at Wapa. Oh, at Wapa, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was the bastard son. Mm, Edmund, yeah. Edmund. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, and I'll be honest, um, I didn't end up working on it. Yeah. At the time it was quite challenging. Of course. Yeah. Um, so I let it go because I ended up doing, I auditioned for um, a contemporary performance course because mm. I was also lo- interested in making it. The... the Real interest in Shakespeare started coming when I worked those couple of productions with Upstart. Yeah, yeah, Upstart with uh, where you did Julius Caesar, Caesar and um, Othello and Othello Macbeth as and well. Macduff. And there's a funny story with Macduff as well. What's that? <laughs> um, okay, this one night we were doing the performance, you know, audience <laughs> and everything there, and my my articulation, projection, everything was working beautiful. <laughs> and we had Andy Fraser who choreographed this real brutal hardcore fight scene for myself and Adam Perkins who was playing Macbeth. Mm. And, you know, we so we hack and so we speak some lines and we hack and slash at each other real hardcore and then we do a bit more speech and then we hack and slash. But, yeah, that, that moment when, you know, when Macbeth says, you know, you can't kill me, you know, no man born of a woman can kill me. Sure. And then Macduff says, uh, tell thee that Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely. Well... Mm. Everything was perfect. I said, and tell thee that Macbuff. Yep. <laughs> Luckily, Adam had his back to the audience because he just went. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and I heard all the actors in the change room absolutely you crack could hear up them. with yeah, laughter. Yeah, yeah. They wet themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then I continued on doing the whole scene, the fighting and speaking while in my head's going, did I just say Macbeth? Oh, don't you hate that? <laughs> did I just say Macbeth? Did, did I say Macbeth <laughs> while speaking what I need to speak and doing what I need? Yeah. My mind just going, did I say yeah. Macbeth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so working with them, what they did give me was that first real interest in Shakespeare because I'm of the opinion if you can do Shakespeare, then you can actually do anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And so then I've always wanted to, how do I develop more, Mm. learn more? Mm -hmm. Luckily by 
me being invited to work on Hackett. Mm. That's when I met yourself and and Peter and Kate. Yeah, yeah. And then Comedy of Errors. So that's your next big adventure. You're right in the middle of rehearsal for that now. By the time this uh, uh, podcast goes to air, you'll be on the road uh, and out there. Uh, what are you expecting this process to be like? It's 26 venues, I think, around the country. It's a big tour. You've got to travel together in these in these vans, um, carting the set around the country. What do you expect this process to be like? Oh, we're going to know each other very well yes, by that's the true. end of it. That's true. Um, look. I look, it's, it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole group's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way Janine is working, our director, and, and her vision and the views and ideas that she wants to play with, Yeah, which is unusual because when I do a play, I, I generally don't have too much of an opinion about what the director is going because my job is to deliver what, the, you know, help the director create their vision. Sure. Because I'm inside the piece, I don't have an idea of the outside. The director has all of that, so okay, mm-hmm. I trust the director, and you know, things little pop. I'll make, I might make suggestions, but other than that, it's, it's the director's vision. My job is to bring that to life. Okay, um, but I actually really, I found myself. Wow, I really like the way Janine's. Taking this. It's a really collaborative room, right? Yeah. Everyone's I love the way. It's, it's, it's like I'm going back to my roots, how I started out, mm. that collaborative and physical way of working. Yep. yep. Cotathon de Vaca. And this is the closest I've actually come to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since I started. Fantastic. And then Aegean, your character, has a huge speech at the start of this play just setting <laughs> setting up the backstory uh doing all of the exposition but also the beating emotional heart of the play is a gin because he's the one who sets the clock ticking really uh, he's got 12 hours if he doesn't come up with a thousand bucks that's it he's, he's gonna he, he's gonna die so how do you approach such a, a important seminal speech where you're basically kicking off the energy for the whole play first of all i work out how am i going to stay safe yep um because yeah like because that that monologue you're missing your and i'm away from home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i I am actually missing my children so there's stuff which i quite easily relate to but also losing looking for your children who were taken away Mm -hmm. that can for me, being an indigenous, that connects with the stolen generation. No doubt. Yeah. Um, I know of so many people who were looking for their parents or were looking for their children. So there's a lot of stuff in there which, and and I, I have to be careful not to go down that path right. at times because right. it's not necessarily right for the scene. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, and would yeah. weigh and would weigh a, a big toll on on you emotionally it throughout does, but, the tour. But see, part of that, but see, that's why for me, I, I like to, I love the physical way of working because for me and my mental health, mm. it's directly linked to my physical health. Yes. Yeah. So the fitter and healthier I am, it helps me maintain emotional intensity for over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when you do such a big tour like this. You need a certain level of fitness, and it's once again, it's not about being a, an athlete, but you do need 
a certain level of fitness and you need to be healthy. And the more healthier and happy you are, mm. then it's easier to do heavy roles. Yeah. Like yeah. That, and for an extended period of time. And I think this is roughly the tour is about three and a half, almost four months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So you so Aegean comes in at the start of the play. And then we don't see anything of him, do we, throughout the play? No, until, we don't until the very see him end. until the very end. Right. Um, I have two little minor roles. Oh, you're, you're, you're doubling through the show? Doubling. Yep. Okay. I'm the voice of Luce slash Nell. Okay, yep. Just mm-hmm. the voice because at the moment it looks like you won't see Nell, you will only hear him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the only time apart from seeing me is Eugene, I come on a couple of times as one of the officers. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So everyone's jumping in and playing a whole bunch of different parts. Yeah, except for the the two sets of twins. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only four actors who maintain the same character yeah. threat, which of course you have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Maitland, you're talking about your children. You've got three kids. Um, you know, you're a dad, I'm a dad. Um my kids have no interest in following my <laughs> career in the performing arts, but yours all have, all three of them have yeah. uh, have um, entered career and they're all in their early 20s, entered careers in the performing arts and, and to great success, by the way, as well. Did you encourage that from a young age or is that just something that they saw you do and they that's what they wanted to do? Yeah, look, I, I, I never encouraged it. Mm. Um, initially I took all three to football. Yep. Which none of them, <laughs> none of them took to in. it. Aussie <laughs> rules. Um, I used to play Aussie rules, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. And so I was thinking, oh, I've got two sons. Yeah, yes, yes. My, but no, um, <laughs> they got interested in the arts because I'm, like I said, I'm a big believer in physical um, being fit and healthy. Yeah. Um, so initially, I got them into when they were really little doing um, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from there, I put all through them into dance. Now, I put them into dance because dance gives the complete physical package. It develops your strength, flexibility, coordination, balance, rhythm, the whole everything. Mm. Um, and and so when I put them into that, I thought I thought my daughter might stay in it, mm-hmm. and I thought my boys might do. A year or two, then move on to something else. Yeah. That was the whole idea. Look, if they did move on to something else, at least I've got a good physical grounding. But as it turned out, all three of them love dance. So I've done ballet, jazz, contemporary dance, and yes, I became a dance dad. Yeah, okay. Uh, which, <laughs> and and so that was their first intro into it. And with my daughter, um, I was studying contemporary performance. Mm-hmm. Now, final production at the end of third year was six characters in search of an author yeah, by yeah. Luigi Pirandello. Yep. Mm-hmm. And our director said, oh, does anyone know of a young girl that we could use for the production? And I didn't think too much, but I said, oh. And I showed our director, Marta Kazmarek, a picture of my daughter and mm. Marta goes, perfect. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, my daughter was involved in that and she loved it. And so then she kept on asking me to do acting lessons, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't let her do that for a couple of years. Right. Because I right. wanted to make sure she was doing it for herself, not yeah. because she wanted to do what daddy was doing. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's so that's how she, then she that's how she got into it. And the boys, yeah, they came from that dance background. Mm. Yeah. And 
because I'm a graduate of the AB Theatre course at Whopper back in 2003 and all three of my kids have been through that now. Through that course as well, yeah. yeah one mm-hmm. at a time. Rick always said, Maitland, I knew you are trying to form your own theatre company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the SNARS Theatre Company. And, and Creating work is, is going to be really important for young performers going forward. They can't sit around waiting for the phone to ring for a theatre no. company to give them a gig. And I know that, um, you know, you've been all about that and recently you've been creating work with all sorts of different artists. Mm. Um, But is Shakespeare still going to be a part of your career going forward? Do you think that Shakespeare will always be a part of what you do? Oh, definitely. Mm. Um, A, I don't want this to be the first, I don't want it to be the last production with Bill. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I do still have this vision at some point and it will happen because I will make it happen and that's working with Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's and bring and then bringing all of that once again back to here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, to Australia and more specifically to my own people. Yeah. And showing that there's another path other than sport. Other than sport, that's a good point. But I guess my question is why Shakespeare? And we've heard um, in recent years and months and years, some people say, well, Shakespeare should get chucked out because, you know, it, it's um, it, it's not relevant to our, our contemporary world or it's not. Oh, yeah, I, I disagree with that because mm-hmm. these plays have lasted this long because they hook into the essence of what it means to be a person, mm-hmm. um, this sort of. The Hilkins is what I call this universal hum- humanity, mm-hmm. which is in every we're all, we all are a part of, irrespective of our race or religion or sex. There's this universality, and I think, and I think that's what Shakespeare hooks really into with all of his works. That's why they've lasted this long. Mm-hmm. But also my, my issue with when, when – I mean I've heard some people say it's old. But I mean not really compared to you know the, the tradition of storytelling even on this land, tens of thousands of years of storytelling. Shakespeare's 400 years old. So I mean so, no, it's, 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 it's pretty new. Really. It's, it's really new. <laughs> it's not old. Yeah. Not to, you know, as you said, when you compare it to, you know, first peoples in Australia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 60, 70 Plus years, thousand yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's not all, not yeah. by a long shot. Yeah, yeah. Maitland, uh, you know, we can't wait to see you in Comedy of Errors, which is coming to Sydney. When do you get back home to Perth? I arrive back in Perth first November, mm-hmm. um, and then two weeks after I get back home, yep, I have to head up north. To work with the community up Kununurra way for three weeks. Yeah, and then I'm back down. Again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're busy. You're travelling all over the country, and good for you. It's it's amazing, and I'm, and we're so happy to have you here in Sydney and working with the company. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. As I said to you before, it's you have a vision of what something's going to be like. Yeah, and quite often it never really reaches that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's the opposite. It's everything I expected and actually more. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an absolute privilege and I can only thank you guys, I can't thank you guys enough for um, inviting me to 
work with these amazing people and all of you guys. Oh, it's a pleasure. Maitland, just before we go, we always have this final five segment. Okay. I've got five quick questions for you. Five quick answers. Here we go. Number one, which do you prefer, the lover, the villain, or the fool? The villain. The villain. Oh, yeah. The baddie. I, I saw um, <laughs> Stephen Burkhoff, Shakespeare's villain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in, what was it, 2005 or something? Yeah, quite yeah, a yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I like playing, playing a good baddie. Now, what is, mo- is Shakespeare's most underrated play for you? Oh, for me, it's actually Richard II. Yeah. How yeah. often have you ever seen that production? Yeah, very rarely, very yeah. rarely. We need to see it more. Who's an artist that you'd love to work with, Maitland, who you haven't already? Oh, um, okay. Would I really like to work with well, acting or directing-wise? Either, whatever you want. Okay. Um, I'd love to work with Kate. Yes. Kate Mulvaney, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, you were, I mean, you worked with her. She was the dramaturg on Hecate, but uh, yeah, but it'd be amazing to work on stage with on her. On stage with her. I'd love to work on stage with her because I know mm. how great she is and to match her on stage, I'd have to bring my A-game, you can't. I love working with people who really push me and that's like everyone in the cast with Mm -hmm. comedy. I have to bring my A-game because everyone is really brilliant. Great. What's the dream Shakespeare role you'd love to play you haven't played yet? What's on your bucket list? Uh, Look, I like to do Richard III. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Richard III. Um, the greatest villain. Yeah. Yeah. To play the, the baddie of the baddie. If you weren't an actor or a performer, Maitland, what do you think you'd be doing? To be honest, I I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. I honestly can't answer that because... It's in your blood. I can't think of doing anything else. I've done a lot of things before I started acting. Mm-hmm. But right now I... I honestly can't think of anything that I'd... No, there's nothing I'd like to do. This is it. Maitland, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech. Thank you very much, James. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform. 